You're listening to the Mosaic Podcast, brought to you by Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. Each episode of this podcast will offer you excerpts from the Mosaic TV news magazine, which airs Sunday from January to April in the Palm Beaches. Mosaic explores the most pressing issues facing the Jewish community here at home and around the world. And now, here's your host, Susan Shulman Pertnoy. Welcome to Mosaic. Joining us today is the CEO and Director General of the world's largest Jewish organization, the Jewish Agency for Israel, Amira Aronovitz. Welcome back to Mosaic, Amira. Thank you, Susan. I feel at home. I, I love what when you're on the show. <laughs> um, I want to start with, the, with Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. What ro- role is the agency playing now? It's, the war has been on for almost a year, and I'm sure it's different. Can you talk about that? So I'll say from day one, you know, as the war broke, uh, it was very clear to us that our role is first and foremost to be there to help save the lives of tens of thousands who ran out uh, for their lives from Ukraine and actually also from Russia and the region. I'll say that um, we were looking into different scenarios of what this would look like and we assumed that we would have some rough uh, period of having a few thousand run out. I think none of us have imagined uh, the scale, the scope, and the pace by which this would happen. And so fast forward 10 months from now, 10 months since, we are completing a year with a groundbreaking record of number of Olim new immigrants to Israel, whereby over 55,000 individuals have come out of the former Soviet Union from Russia, Ukraine, and the region. So if the first couple of months were really characterized by being fully invested in rescue operations, very complex ones, we have situated in four countries surrounding Ukraine, in five crossing borders, and mobilized hundreds of staff and volunteers to, to take care and, and provide the uh, uh, services to those refugees. I'll say now we have shifted, the heavy gear has shifted really to help them integrate into Israel and embark on new life here. Having 55,000 of them come to Israel in such a short period, their journey doesn't end when they land in Ben-Gurion. It's true that it's it's the saving of their lives which mattered the most, but then once they land in Ben-Gurion, this is when the journey really starts. And when you think about those people who came in a very unplanned way, almost with nothing, no resources, not necessarily having any plan for themselves for a job or for housing or for uh, where to live, so this now becomes a very, very heavy lift of ours, along with the government and, and other partners. But at the same time, we're still out there surrounding Ukraine. We're still situated in Poland, in Hungary, accommodating a few hundreds that are still coming out every month and providing the ability to make aliyah to all of those who are coming out of Russia. So we're actually in both places right now, on the field and in Israel. Mira, I was fortunate to be able to join a group, a small group from Jewish Federations of North America almost a month after the war started. And we went to the Poland-Ukraine border, and we actually saw you in action, or the Jewish agency in action, and organizing everything for aliyah and immigration for these people who were just suffering and really with literally holding garbage bags. That was what what they came out with. Um, So it was a difficult process. You were working with your partner organizations to try and figure out how to get them to Israel. But 
Fast forward, I hear now that you actually have an app for these people. Could you talk about that? We believe that just as you manage um, everything in your life today through the mobile and the app and you track, right? You track the uh, package that is about to be delivered. You make decisions about shopping or anything important in life through the mobile. And we want to make it easier on those people who are choosing to make Aliyah. And so we are currently in the beta status of an app that we already launched and are piloting in some parts of the world, not yet around Ukraine. We don't want to risk the rescue operations, but definitely in other areas of the world today, someone who makes Aliyah could start to track their process on the mobile and then get the uh, notifications and the updates and the requirements and make sure that the process is uh, more smoothly advancing as well as um, a piece of that app would involve um, being able to match people with mentors. You mentioned earlier that um, other Eastern European refugees are making Aliyah to Israel, including Russia. Can you talk a little bit about what what the tone is in Russia right yeah, now? Yeah, so I'll say that um, we are concluding the year of 2022, as I said before, with over 70,000 Olim from all around the world, which is a groundbreaking record number since the 90s, which is, by the way, twice as much as the highest peak we've had prior to COVID. And so uh, this is really um, an enormous scale, out of which 55,000 came from the former Soviet Union region whereby 15,000 came from Ukraine and a little over 40,000 came from Russia. So already early on as the war broke and this crisis had uh, broader implications on the whole region, we have started to see huge demand and interest from among the Russians, no less than the Ukrainians, to come to Israel. Um, it is true that the Russian Jewish community is three times fold bigger than the one in Ukraine, so one could claim that you know, that is the ratio that represents that. But nevertheless, we know that um, you know, the people coming out of Russia um, have been choosing to um, uh, move their life to Israel, um, not seeing any future for themselves in the country, probably also as an outcome of the current situation. On that note, we have to take a break. We'll be right back after this brief message. Mosaic is brought to you through the dedication of generous corporate sponsors who fuel the work of Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. We thank American Commercial Realty, Appleby Udenfriend Wealth Management, BDO, Bremen Motorcars, Bruce Gentleman Insurance Services, Commodore Singer Basement and Braun Attorneys, First Republic Bank, FPL, Rogers Design Group, and Shapiro Pertnoy Companies. We're back joined by Emir Aronovitz talking about the war in Ukraine and its impact on global Jewish community. Tell us about what the Jewish agency's role is now in, um, in helping Ukrainians that want to stay in Ukraine have a Jewish life. So I should say that prior to the war and in the last um, you know, 30 years, we've been very uh, present in our community work on the ground in all of the former Soviet Union countries, Russia and Ukraine as well. Um, in various areas, we are providing a whole chain of uh, informal education, providing summer camps and seasonal camping for thousands of youth and kids um, from all across Ukraine, as well as operating Hebrew pun classes, Sunday schools in dozens of locations, as well as work with the formal Jewish day schools and work with the local communities. 
In addition to that, we work to um, mobilize young Jews from uh, Ukraine, come and experience Israel, whether it's through birthright, whether it's through longer experiences in Massa. So all of that, um, you know, was on its place um, until the breaking of the war. Our ability to continue to do some of those operations uh, was halted and limited because of the physical threat of life. Life in Ukraine, in, to some extent, are trying to uh, you know, come back to some yeah. uh, normalcy. There is huge damage to infrastructure and the ability really to maintain activities and daily operations in the way that it was before the war does not exist today. Nevertheless, we are doing kind of two things in trying to help them maintain their Jewish life. One is that we've moved some of our activities to be virtual. So we're currently operating, for example, Sunday schools for groups of kids and their parents from Kiev, from Odessa, from Kharkov, virtually. You know, it does not compete with the in-person, but at least it gives them some sense of not being alone, some sense of being a part of a community and a family and being able to share with what another experiences and, and, you know, and thoughts and dreams about the future. Uh, we have moved most of our Ulpan Hebrew classes to be done virtually as well. So it enables us actually to widen the geographical scope. Ukraine is a huge country for people from all around the country to join those classes. And I'll say that in some cases, what we're trying to do is to take the kids outside of Ukraine and provide them the services and then bring them back. So uh, just now, we have had in the last week over 100 kids, teens from Ukraine that we took via transport, ground transportation outside to uh, Latvia to have um, a summer camp, winter camp, a seasonal camp, you know, some kind of a respite, some kind of, of experience, some normalcy right. for a few days with their peers, their age, and then they're going to come back. And so I think what we're trying to do is a combination of what is it that we can go back to do on the ground within the communities, which is very limited currently. What is it that we can take them temporarily to some safer you know, common right. space and atmosphere, but, but give them this sense of, of normalcy, at least for a period of time. And then what is it that we're able to move to do virtually? And uh, we're doing all of that, you know, um, in, in a way that hopefully gives them a bit of a better optimism about their future. Well, that's remarkable. Now, t- give us some insight into what, how, what, what the process of absorption is into Israeli society for those who want to immigrate. So I'll say the following. Um, First of all, the fact that those new immigrants, which come in a refugee state, you know, many of them traumatized from the horrific journey, come in a very unplanned way. The ones who came from Ukraine are, a lot of them are single mothers with their children because they've been separating from their fathers, the male who could not leave Ukraine and still cannot leave Ukraine. And, and when we think about 10 months already that those, you know, separated families are in Israel and their, you know, beloved ones are still there. So it's very, very uh, difficult in many aspects. At the same time, I think two areas serve as a source of kind of, of strength. The first is they come into a society where 20% of its population actually come from that region. So people who speak their language, people who know their culture, people who have gone themselves through a journey of migration, um, and have you know gained the skills and and the kind of steps you need to take, and so if we catch them at the initial period and provide them with this, I'd say bridging linkage of, of a few months, they're then set much much better off to embark on their new life. And so I think those two are are serving as the major areas of our uh, investment currently. 
not to mention the Ethiopians are coming in with Zor Operation Zor Israel at the same time. How are you dealing with that? So I should say that um, as a global organization that has to address the needs of Jews at any given moment, wherever they may be, we don't have the privilege of closing one shop in order to open a new one. So, you know, we won't leave any Russian or Ukrainian behind because we need to bring an Ethiopian. Jew, we won't leave any Ethiopian Jew behind because we have to bring a Ukrainian and Russian one. So, you know, the premise is such that we have to do whatever we need in order to cater and serve and be there for any Jew at any given moment, even if it's on multiple arenas. Having said that, I, I do agree that it sent us to stretch the boundaries of our organizations uh, to imaginary limits um, this year. And so we, we found ourselves actually in this period, expanding and opening new absorption centers, and I should say very encouraged by the uh, this current wave of Aliyah from Ethiopia. We're seeing um, a population which comes much more um, educated, uh, with more exposure to urban environment and, and technology, and so the opportunity to help them early on um, as they start to integrate I think is more promising in the sense of their ability to then build successful life in Israel. I'm going to shift gears for a second and talk about you an amazing training program that you have, and it was developed in consultation with Deloitte Group. So early on, as we understood the kind of scale and scope of number of new olim we're going to get to Israel, it was very clear to us that uh, one thing we have to do is to go back and try to learn from the mistakes being done uh, when the big wave of Aliyah in the 90s from former Soviet Union came. And I don't know if you're familiar, there is a, um, a civic society movement in Israel called the uh, One Million Lobby, which is really led by a younger generation from amongst the kids who were born to those families who came from Russia in the 90s. They see themselves as kind of this um, in-between in generation. Uh, many of them either were born in Israel relatively soon after their parents made Aliyah or came at very early age. And they were actually approaching us as well to say, you know, let, let's together learn from the mistakes to not then repeat them uh, from the 90s. And together with them and the Ministry of Aliyah and Absorption, we commenced a big research. We used Deloitte, the global uh, firm of Deloitte, to commence this research, which was one of its kind and very holistic one. And with, they came back with very interesting findings where the three main ones were that if there is one factor that is critical for the success of the absorption, it's the acquisition of the language. So people are so disoriented in so many aspects oh, sure. if they don't have the language. And on the contrary, when they do have the language, everything becomes more um, uh, possible and, and, um, and, and achievable. The second is that the training, the job training as a way to help people um, relatively soon find a job that is not that different from what they came with the experience set, with. Right. Because in the 90s, we had so many cases where people came with so um, high level of professions, such as engineers of forest or of coal mines or of doctors of physics, but then found themselves, at least for the beginning period of a couple of years, you know, wiping floors in hospitals or in shops because they weren't able to acclimate themselves in a way that they would understand the culture of the job market in Israel in their profession. 
And so what this research has taught us is that if we invest in the initial period of helping them do that, both help them to attain the language, many times even the professional language. So how do you help someone understand the professional terminology of medical profession in Hebrew or of engineering profession in Hebrew? and then help them to understand better the culture and the way by which the job market works and help them, you know, match them with job opportunities. Deloitte was really uh, instrumental in helping us to crystallize, you know, these understandings and then translate them into how to design interventions in a relevant way. It's, it's really terrific. We're going to change topics for a second. We're going to talk about the Sahar region and which is Federation's partnership region that includes uh, Rosh Pina, Hatzor, and uh, Tzfat. Uh, Federation has had a partnership with them for almost 30 years. Why do you think it's so critical that communities such as ours have a partnership relationship with, with communities in Israel? I'm smiling because at the earlier stage of my career, you know, I've been endless years in this organization. Um, at the beginning of my career, one of the roles I've had is, is being a partnership manager. And so I know from firsthand um, what kind of a transformational experience that could be for people who get involved in those partnerships. And I think the, the, the magic in it is the fact that, you know, we, on, on the bigger vision, we want to try to connect. We want to make sure that 20, 30, 40 years from now, we will stay connected, the different parts of the Jewish people. And so for that to happen, we know that people need to know about one another and then care about one another and develop relationship to then be carried on uh, for the longer term. And so for that to happen, we have to create the opportunities. We live so far apart. We live life that is um, to some extent very different in its nature, both its Jewish nature and its daily nature, but to some extent we share so many values and tradition and history and culture. And so the Partnership Together uh, network, uh, this network of geographical partnerships, I think enables to create something very personal, very particular, very intimate in the opportunity for nurturing those relationships. And you know, I'm hearing you saying, it's been already 30 years that Palm imagine? Beach has this uh, relationship with Tzachar. And all I'm thinking of is think about the teenager who was at the first beginning years of your partnerships 30 years ago was 13 and was part of some kind of a youth exchange or a program or a mission. Now, 30 years from now, they're probably parents to kids. You know, if, if we did a good enough job in, in um, igniting the spark and, you know, inspiring them for that to be relevant, for this connection to be a meaningful one, you know, this is a way then to carry it between generations. And so the partnership has, re, you know, refreshed and renewed itself all along the years. But what stayed at the core of it, that it's about the people-to-people relationships. Speaking of people-to-people relationships, you also have a remarkable program at the Jewish Agency, which is the Shlichim program. And we are proud to say that we have a wonderful Shlicha. Her name is Hani Kolan. And we also are participating in now the Shin Shinim program that you have. And I'm going to, I want to get these girls' names right. It's Tom Benesty and Agam Ilovich who are with us this year. And I personally had a, an opportunity to meet with them. They were actually interviewed on the show. They are remarkable young ladies. They are so clear on and sophisticated for their teenage years. They've just graduated from high school and they're here for a year before they start their service. Why is it important that the Jewish Agency 
have these programs? So I'm ha so happy for this question to be coming after the previous questions about the partnerships because you know for many years we kind of thought that the relationship is about us Israelis just having to educate Jews from the diaspora enough about Israel. And so the notion of sending shlichim you know, stems from that. So how can we bring Israel in a very relevant and informal way to the um, environment of the community? And the shlichim are doing an outstanding job in that sense, whether in schools, synagogues, campuses, etc. But what we've learned over the years it, it, is that those shlichim themselves, they are transformed themselves no less than what they're doing in the community. And it's an eye-opening experience for them to uh, experience Jewish life outside of Israel, to get to know you know, the so diverse and rich way of Jewish life that you can experience in a community like Palm Beach. And so what we love about the Shlichim program and the Shinchinim specifically, because they're so young and they're at this age, that they come with such um, uh, huge energy and enthusiasm, <laughs> yes. and they're so open and welcome to kind of dance the tango from both ways. And then they take back this transformational experience of theirs back home to Israel, and then they're young enough still to make sure that this, you know, becomes a relevant part of their life uh, back in That's Israel. Right. And so we're very, very proud to be able to continue to grow the uh, global network of Shlichim, uh, where we send over 2,200 a year all across the globe, from shorter periods to summer camps to longer periods, such as the um, Shinchinim for a year, and then for longer periods in other settings. But what we're learning is that what happens to them during the shlichut stays with them for life, just in the same way that the people that they're meeting and developing relationship with in the community, they stay with it for life. And I'll say the most pure example is what we see happening for host families of Shinshinim. So this young Shinshinim, um, they live with host families, usually between two to three families in a term of a shlichut. And what we're seeing, which we're so happy and excited about, is the kind of relationship that develops between the hosting family and the family of the Shinshin or Shinshinit in Israel. So they immediately become you know, an extended family. Right. And so when the Shinshin goes back and drafts to the army, the, you know, the American. American family continues to follow them and be part of that. And then when they travel to Israel, then the Shinshin family becomes their host family. And what we see along the years is how those relationships continue to evolve, even when they get married and they have children. And, you know, it's, it's all about um, this sense of, yeah, this sense of, of all being part of one family. Yes, right. which brings me to my last question. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Why is it so important to have relationships between the diaspora Jews and Israel, especially at this time? You know, when we think about um, our historic narrative, our 3,000 years of, you know, being a people that once were united in the Eretz Israel and then were spread all across the globe, and thinking, what is it that kept us all along the years? You know, aside from the tradition and the culture and the values, it was the care for one another. It was this notion of, you know, as, as much as we are far apart, there is so much that connects us. And when we think about, you know, any future today for the Jewish people, I think it requires just the same. Israel, in order to thrive and to have a strong future of its own, we need thriving, strong Jewish, vibrant communities abroad. Uh, and at the same time, we believe that Jewish communities abroad to thrive and to sustain, you know, need to be inspired by this home of the Jewish people, by the state of Israel. Now, this is not going to just happen automatically. And so for us to continue to feel that we have a reason to care for one another, that we have some shared future and some shared, 
you know, um, um, aspirations, aspirations, and and I would say um, um, destiny, and not just you know a past, is something that we have to proactively work towards, and and then creating all of those opportunities for constant um, connections and relationships is something that is required to uh, make sure that we stay connected also with our children and grandchildren and grand-grandchildren um, tens of years from now. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you for all that you do, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Susan, and thank you for the Palm Beach Community and Federation, which is really an outstanding partner of ours in so many aspects, from the emergency and making sure that we're able to save lives up to sharing with us the need to make sure that we stay connected and caring for one another in the future. So huge privilege and honor to be here. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mosaic Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to Mosaic on your favorite streaming platform and to leave us a review. Want more? Visit jewishpb.org mosaic where you can access full episodes of the show. To stay connected with the Jewish community of the Palm Beaches, visit jewishpb.org or follow Jewish Federation at facebook.com slash jewishpalmbeach.